The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Kharkiv under siege. Heavy shelling in Ukraine's second biggest city, showing no signs of slowing down as the Russian offensive moves closer to the capital city of Kiev. We have a live report from the front line ahead. Putting the pressure on Putin as a growing number of companies now blacklist Moscow, response to the massive list of international sanctions. Investors on edge as much of the market and your money continues to fall, all as inflation continues to rise. It is Tuesday, March 1st, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good to be back with you. And let us get right now to the markets and your money on this Tuesday. And there is a lot going on and a lot to run you through. Let us begin with stock futures. They are in the red once again. NASDAQ futures off the most, down triple digits. There we see about a three-tenth of 1% move down for NASDAQ. The Dow down as well. Although, again, keep in mind the fair value number is in the green So the markets could shift as the day goes on. But right now, we are in the red. Well, February is now in the books. The Dow closing out its worst monthly performance since November of last year. The major averages also coming off back-to-back monthly declines as well. It has been a very tough time for a majority of equities, save anything related to oil or energy. In the bond market, yields continue to come down as bonds are perceived as a safe haven buy. We're seeing the benchmark 10-year yield at about 1.84%, so that is below the 2% where it hit a couple of weeks ago. Of course, expectations for how aggressive the Federal Reserve may be with rate hikes, well, they have been coming down lately. But the trillion-dollar question really is this, is whether Russia's war with Ukraine will result in our Fed being less aggressive due to macro uncertainty or maybe more aggressive as inflation picks up. We should find out at that huge Fed meeting coming up on March 16th. Circle that one with a big red pin on your calendar. All right, speaking of inflation, oil prices, they are on the rise once again. In fact, crude oil is at $99 here, 102 overseas with Brent crude. So oil, less than $1 now from hitting $100 per barrel. We closed at Brent crude, the highest level since August of 2014 last night. Crypto also rising on Monday. Right now, we are seeing crypto on the move just a bit. But keep in mind, even with that move higher, Bitcoin still down about 35% from its November highs. Bitcoin up a little bit this morning, although well off that mid $65,000 range. Still something to watch as the world maybe embraces crypto as a way to move money around, help Ukraine, etc., without the guise of Russian authorities finding out, or hackers for that matter. All right, around the world, stocks also mostly continue to fall. The European markets right now, mostly down big, especially in Germany. By the way, energy costs there continuing to rise. Millions of families in the UK and across Europe face soaring electricity prices and 
maybe in some cases, energy poverty. Let's get the latest of the early trade and some of the top stories from Rosanna Lockwood in London. Rosanna. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, the energy storing playing so heavily into the equities markets this morning. Now, moves were quite contained early on in the session as investors digested the latest out of the war. However, in the last hour or so, we've had latest lines out of Sergei Lavrov, Russian Foreign Minister, and Mario Draghi of Italy as well, talking about the nuclear threats presented by this conflict. Now, FTSE 100 was a half a percent in the green, now half a percent in the red. The CACA hunt in Paris off by two and a half percent, almost same with the DAX in Germany, as you mentioned. Let's give you a quick look at the sectors and how they are shaping up because unsurprisingly so much right across the board basic resources is basically the only session sector that is in the green around up three tenths of a percent or so travel really suffering today down almost five percent of course airlines facing a very tough challenge at the moment but want to bring you back to that energy story because this latest news this morning out of total energy of france they were under pressure by french finance minister bruno le maire to maybe follow on from companies like bp and shell that severed ties with Russian projects. Well, Total this morning announcing that they will no longer divert new funds to Russian projects, but we still await to see the scope of that, Brian. All right, Rosanna Lockwood there. A little green on the screen at the bottom, but mostly in Germany. Look at tough. Rosanna, thank you very much. All right, now to this morning's latest developments out of Ukraine. And again, just keep in mind, this is a very fluid situation. News can literally change by the minute. Right now, Look at that, a satellite photo and video of a 40-mile-long convoy of Russian tanks, armored personnel, and other military vehicles that is believed to be on its way to Kiev today in what is the sixth day of the fighting since the invasion began last Thursday. This is the Russian offensive bears down on the capital city. Fighting is intensifying in Ukraine's second biggest city of Kharkiv, with Russia launching a series of rocket attacks. Residents there reporting they are under constant assault from the air. The city's mayor reporting Russian missiles have also struck a city administration building. Look at this. Ukraine State Emergency Services releasing this video to the public this morning, showing an explosion hitting the Kharkiv Regional State Administration building just after 8 a.m. local time. They call that the result of a Russian airstrike. But Ukrainian forces are digging in. The Russian military meeting fierce resistance on the ground and in the air. Talks between the two sides are also ongoing. After a five-hour face-to-face yesterday, officials are looking to schedule a second round of negotiations in the coming days. Also happening this morning, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky is expected to address European Parliament today via video link from Ukraine. No guidance on timing yet, but it does come just one day after Zelensky yesterday signed Ukraine's application for a membership into the European Union. As the situation develops in Ukraine, Russia continues to feel the pinch of global financial sanctions and blacklists. The latest, MasterCard, saying it has blocked multiple financial institutions in Russia from its payment network, all in response to the sanctions. Also, MSCI is signaling it will cut Russia from many of its widely followed Equity index funds. This is currently working with market participants on how to rebalance those that are very widely benchmarked around the world. And France's Total Energies, you just heard Rosanna talk about it, say it will no longer provide capital for new projects in Russia. There is a lot happening in the business world as well. Now, joining us now on the CBC Newsline to find out what is actually happening on the ground in Ukraine 
is New York Times investigative reporter Michael Schwartz. He is on the ground there just outside of Odessa, but he has been on the move and we really appreciate his views. Michael, uh, good afternoon to you. I saw from Twitter that you've been in six cities recently. There is a lot of Russian propaganda on their state TV. You have countered it and said you are not seeing any sign of panic by the citizens of Ukraine. Uh, that's right. Uh, you know, what you see uh, is a lot of uh, fear, certainly, but but also a lot of resolve. I've, I've been bouncing around the country and, and what you see in any in, in all of these places from large cities to small towns are people out in the streets. They're filling sandbags. They're building these uh, uh, tank uh, barriers. Uh, they're they're getting their regions and localities ready for any possible Russian assault. Uh, I arrived in Odessa here yesterday and the city. Uh, truly looks like uh, it's it's a it's a movie set for a World War II movie. You know there there's military everywhere. Um, sandbags are going up. Uh, the center of the city is blocked off. Uh, people are turning a local food hall into a a a, 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 a clinic or a hospital. Um, I spoke to local officials here. They're expecting that there might be some kind of attack from uh, Russian naval forces that are based out on the on the Black Sea. Uh, Odessa is Ukraine's largest port city on the Black Sea. Uh, I was in Kharkiv uh, about three days ago, right uh, where the uh, blast went off this morning. Uh, people are there are taking shelter. They're living in the subway because of the constant bombardment from Russian forces. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, you know, all this goes against what has been prevalent in Russian uh, government TV on Russian propaganda channels that somehow the Ukrainians would greet uh, this type of Russian attack uh, as a liberation of their country. Uh, that's just yeah. not anything that I'm seeing. Well, there's a lot of video and photo of these uh, this 40-some-mile-long train of military personnel, tanks, armored cars, heading what is believed to be into Kiev, Michael. Uh, that's on our side. What are you hearing on the ground there? What are the Ukrainian media saying uh, about this this Russian convoy that that we're showing again on our TV here, it just does appear to be uh, very long, very heavily armed, and likely on its way to Kiev. It's it's looking pretty ominous. Um, you know what we saw in the first word day six into the war. Uh, what everybody was expecting when this war kicked off last week is that there would be a massive. Um, uh, artillery bombardment, there would be a massive operation to quickly seize key regions of the country, get a hold on Kiev, block the capital off from the country, and really try to force a political concession, either by toppling the government in Kiev uh, or, or um, so threatening that, that government's existence that they would be forced to make concessions. That seems to not have come to pass. The Russian military appears to have stumbled. And now the fear is that they are going to redouble their efforts and come in with the massive force um, that has been missing yeah. for the last few days. And Michael, just to wrap it up, because you have been there, and by the way, stay safe. We appreciate your reporting. Um, you've met many Ukrainians in your time, no doubt. It is one thing to come in with military to a city. It is another thing to take it over from the people. People will fight even on their own. What can you tell us about the will of the Ukrainian people, not military, but individual citizens that you have met? That's the, that was the biggest question going into this war is how the Ukrainians react. And everywhere that you go, you see 
Ukrainians gathering weapons in central squares, joining territorial defense forces. I was in Dnipro a few days ago where they're collecting what looked like tens of thousands of bottles to be turned into Molotov cocktails. And so, you know, there are large numbers of people that are also fleeing to the West to get out of, the, of harm's way. But there are many, many more people who are uh, staying and uh, uh, will fight uh, for their towns and villages uh, if necessary. Michael Schwartz, New York Times investigative reporter, been on and off outside of Russia and the region for about 20 years now, Michael. First off, we appreciate your views, but most importantly, be safe, take care. Thank you very much. All right, let's turn back now to the impact of the markets and your money and the ripple effects being felt for the continued fighting in Ukraine, as well as the rollout of sanctions on Russia by the U.S., its allies, and really much of the world. Ben Emmons is the Managing Director of Global Macro Strategy at Medley Global Advisors, and he joins us now. Ben, you have got uh, a global macro view as good as well as anybody. Always appreciate your notes, almost a a daily must-read. What do you believe the further uh, financial ripple implications will be from what's going on? Or do you think that most of that reset, rebalancing, whatever you want to call it, has been done? Morning, Brian. Well, if you look at the pictures that you just showed of this invasion advancing, we can definitely conclude that Russia is going to uh, want to reach its goal. So there's going to continue to be some pressure on markets because more sanctions may follow. And we saw yesterday the news that Russia is also putting counter sanctions on the West. So it will affect broader markets. But if you look within, you know, if you think about the energy complex, it's obviously doing extremely well. I expect to see more gains there as well as, you know, maybe just more safe haven uh, into U.S. assets because people are not going to be exposed to Russia. So I think those dynamics will be really dominant. I don't think we can completely uh, say there's a full reset here because the uncertainty, like they have to get to ultimately a negotiation of a ceasefire. And that seems to be quite uncertain at this moment. So it's a safe haven play at this moment, I think. Think of U.S. assets, think of Bitcoin, think of energy. Then that's what really will drive the markets for, uh, for gains here. Yeah, and we are seeing, of course, the collapse of the Russian ruble, uh, credit default swaps on Russian sovereign debt. They've come down off their highs of a few days ago, but they're up more than 300%. Of course, there are sanctions on owning debt, trading debt, selling U.S.-denominated debt. Some have been in place for eight years, but there's a lot of these financial sanctions being placed Do you think that is going to impact uh, the U.S. markets or Western European markets? Jamie Dimon saying yesterday, I believe it was, that that these sanctions, while noble in their, and I'm paraphrasing him, while noble in their goal, may have unintended consequences that we're simply not aware of yet. Well, there's definitely a point to that because we don't really know how the sanctions are restricting companies from doing business with one another and particularly companies that have business in Russia itself. So that is, I think, still to be worked out. We see Russia putting up capital controls to not have their citizens sell foreign currency, for example, to try to get out of the ruble. But we haven't seen any restrictions yet on, say, U.S. companies not able to sell in Russia, as an example, or European banks not making any payments to Russian companies. It's just more about a messaging system, which... You know, Diamond alluded to, I can not message them through SWIFT, but I can still transact with them in Russia. So that's, I think, still to be worked out. Now, on the other hand, sanctions itself are like what I think of the trade war with the tariffs, right? They, they do have economic effects. Um, and so trade with Russia yeah. actually will slow down dramatically. That's, I think, one thing we have to really keep in yeah. mind. 
I know markets had a tough February, Ben. We got to go so very quickly. But do you, do you, I mean, are we underestimating the ultimate risks here? I mean, this could still escalate in a way that we have no comprehension of. Absolutely, Brian. We cannot exclude the widening of the conflict. I think that's why markets stay on edge. Yeah, markets right now, they are on edge. Ben Emmons, Medley Global Advisors. Ben, a real pleasure to get your global macro view. Thank you very much. All right, we got a lot more to do here on this Tuesday, folks. When we come back, the Russian sanction lever the West has yet to pull and the impact it could have on Vladimir Putin and his inner circle. Plus, monitoring the ongoing humanitarian crisis on the border with Ukraine. Steve Sedgwick is live on the ground. You will hear from Steve coming up. We are seeing stock futures down, bonds being bought, oil nearing 100. We are back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Uh, welcome or welcome back, everybody. The sanctions imposed by the West on Russia in just the past few days have been unprecedented. Now, that list is long and includes things like cutting off some Russian banks, not all, but some from the SWIFT money transport system. Also, export controls and freezing the Russian central bank's access to its foreign reserves. But a column in yesterday's Wall Street Journal suggests that sanctions against Russia and President Vladimir Putin will not really hurt until they include energy, oil and gas, and that they should not be ruled out. Let us speak now to the author of that column. That is Rochelle Toplinski of The Wall Street Journal. Rochelle, thank you very much for joining us. This is a huge, but a hugely hot-button issue as well. Because to go after Russia, you have to go after energy. It is the source of most of their money. However, in doing so, it could already add to higher prices and consumer inflation in the U.S. and in Western Europe. What do you think, what are people saying about the proper balance here? Morning. Thanks very much for having me on. Um, it, it's a difficult one because the balance is obviously, <clears throat> sorry, the balance is obviously going to be very painful to Europeans who are relying most on that gas. Um, but what we've seen in history is the prior sanctions really um, enabled the Russian regime to strengthen their hold and also to build up all sorts of, of cash. You talked about their uh, sovereign wealth fund or, their, or their, their piles of cash that they have in the central bank. And, and yep. what we're seeing is that Europe uh, pays about $300 million a day. Uh, for gas purchases to Russia, and the West pays about another $350 million. And so despite these sanctions, that money is just coming in and coming in and coming in and fueling Putin and his actions. 
Understandable. And, and yesterday, Canada said that they would stop buying Russian imports of oil, mostly a symbolic move. They, they barely yeah. buy any of the last few years, but they're, they're, they're making the move as well. Just a couple of days before the invasion itself, the U.S. actually purchased a big shipload of Russian oil. But Rochelle, I think the variable here is China. We know that Russia has been selling oil to China, probably at some kind of a steep discount. China its closest ally. They don't care about where the Russian oil comes from. They simply want the oil and they want to pay less for it. So I do wonder, even if the West sanctioned the oil, would China's role pretty much mitigate any damage we might be able to do to Putin? I think the the oil one is really tricky because oil is a global market. And so it's kind of like squeezing a balloon. If you are to cut off some of the purchases in the West of oil, Obviously, you're right, that will go to China or to other places that would be interested in buying it. Um, And it will also possibly push up the price. But what you're seeing is that um, some of the bank sanctions as well, you mentioned the SWIFT. Um, We're still yet to see what banks are included in that and whether there might be an energy carve-out. Because in the past, there have been sanctions on financial institutions and they carve out the oil and gas. So. If that doesn't happen, what you will end up seeing is is more impact. Um, and it's a bit of a balancing act because obviously it will drive up some of the it oil is. prices. I think where the gas is interesting, though, is definitely gas is far less mo- mobile around the world. And while there is a pipeline into from Russia into China, that one is not yep. um, is not as big. So they can't move the gas around. Okay. And we were <clears throat> we were in London back in November reporting on the possible energy price spike. And I find no joy in being correct in that reporting. But as of April 1st, electricity prices in the U.K. can rise by 54 percent. Rochelle Toplinski, Wall Street Journal. Thoughtful article, Rochelle. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, we've got a lot more to do here, folks. And on deck, outside of the global market turmoil, there is also, do not forget, a major humanitarian crisis in full swing on the border between Ukraine and Poland. That is where we find Steve Sedgwick. Steve. Yeah, Brian, well, as well as that humanitarian crisis just close to where I am here in Poland, we've also got the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson arriving in the country today to discuss military cooperation. We'll talk about that when we return on Worldwide Exchange. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody. Let's get more now on the human side of the toll of the invasion of Ukraine as refugees continue to pour into the eastern part of the EU seeking safety. United Nations estimates that more than half a million Ukrainians have fled, with Polish officials estimating around 350,000 of them pouring into that nation alone. Steve Sedgwick is on the ground in Zeshuf, Poland, with the very latest. Steve, good morning. What are you seeing? 
Yeah, well, look, Brian, we've pulled back from the border. Um, we're about 54 miles from there. We're very close to where the US 82nd are, actually, just about a mile uh, north of where I'm standing as well. That's where their base is. They're here, of course, to bolster the military, but also to help with the humanitarian effort that the Poles and others are putting into this devastating flood of refugees we're seeing. We were down at the Medica border uh, crossing on Sunday. It was just horrendous, Brian. I've been with CNBC for two decades, uh, and it was the, the, the hardest reporting I've ever had to do in terms of just watching these young families, these women and children crossing over. They're menfolk, of course, not allowed to cross because of the martial law in Ukraine at the moment, meaning that 18 to 60-year-old men, you and I, uh, Sally, would have to be there fighting, even if we've never picked up a gun as well. So just quite devastating stuff. On the numbers, they're just going up so quickly. I was talking to USAID Administrator uh, Samantha Power, of course, formerly the US Ambassador to the UN, on Sunday. I was talking to her, on Saturday, I beg your pardon, talking to her about this. And at the time, we were talking about 150,000 refugees have come over the border. Now, as you say, over 500,000. As we're seeing more bombing in Kharkiv, in Kiev as well, uh, the numbers are picking up very, very quickly as well. We were at one of the main transit points, uh, railway station, the first big railway station you hit in Poland once you leave Kiev, once you leave Odessa. We were there yesterday, and it was just quite devastating scenes. If, if our viewers are prepared to look at that stuff, uh, I've posted a couple of videos online. Yeah, we're looking at some of the still photographs, Steve, and I can't imagine, given your extensive history reporting around the world, that if you say that, I've got to believe that. And to your point, cannot reiterate enough that these are mostly women with small children. As you said, the men, they're left behind to fight. They are legally not allowed to leave the country. So these are families, tens of thousands of them being split apart, unsure if they will see each other again what the fate of their country, of their families, of their fathers, of their grandfathers is going to be. How is Poland responding? Is there enough food? Do they have the shelter? Is the world providing funds? Brian, when I woke up this morning, it was minus seven degrees here now. That's not cold if you're in an insulated, heated home and you've got a wood burner going or your gas central heating or whatever it may well be. When you're sitting in a traffic queue, not sure whether to put your car on, when you're walking those last few miles because the last 30 kilometers are back-to-back -back cars and you just want to get through as quickly as possible, when you're huddling down on a station platform, either on the Ukrainian side or on the Polish side, that is devastating as well. These kids are well wrapped up, their, fa wrap, their families are wrapped up as well, but it is freezing, absolutely freezing for them uh, on the nights here as well. Are they well looked after when they get here was your question. I think yes. There is a lot of institutional support here. Uh, Poland is doing everything it can. There's a lot of volunteers. I mean, the way that the volunteers in these border towns have come together for the Ukrainian people, it's extraordinary. Uh, I was... Um in Shemzhol, which is, again, 14 kilometers, about eight miles from the border in the last couple of days as well. And what started off as just a couple of tents and uh, a few bits of food turned into a huge refugee center on, a, on the outskirts of the town near the railway station where a lot of these people are coming in. And a huge amount of food, diapers, all kinds of supplies, medical supplies, they're all being provided uh, on an ad hoc basis by a lot of volunteers, plus, as I say, the institutional support. I think the Poles are doing everything they can. The world trying to respond. Steve Sedgwick in Poland, a very, very difficult story for so many. Steve, thank you. All right, as we head to break, we are seeing stock futures down about three quarters of 1%. Oil is closing back in on $100 per barrel. The Russian ruble continues to fall. We've got continuing coverage of the crisis in Ukraine and the financial markets. Next.
Welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. All right, let's get right now to the markets and your money on this Tuesday. And there is a lot going on, so let us get through it and begin with stock futures. We are seeing futures in the red, down about one-half to three-quarters of one percent, depending on the market. Now, fair value is slightly in the green, indicating the futures could shift as we head toward the market open. But right now, we are seeing more red to kick off the month of March. NASDAQ futures off triple digits. The market's coming off another tough month. The Dow having its worst month since November of 2021. We are seeing now about one quarter of the S&P 500 down more than 15 percent so far this year. So the toll has been taken on a number of stocks. All this as the price of oil and energy continues to move higher and oil is up again today. In fact, it was just above 99, not there now at 98.67, but it is creeping. It is inching toward 100 a barrel here. It is already above 100 a barrel in the UK market, the Brent crude market, which, by the way, last night, the highest close for Brent crude since all the way back in August of 2014. Now, it's not just equities and bonds and oil. As the fighting in Ukraine rages on, I want to highlight the dramatic moves in Russian credit default swaps. Now, they have come down, but look at that spike just a couple of days ago. Remember, Credit default swaps are the insurance on the risk of default by any kind of debt, whether it's corporate debt or government debt. So the risk of sovereign debt default by Russia spiked dramatically a couple of days ago. It has come back down, but some of that could be artificial. Some of that could simply be no trading in the credit default swap market. Either way, a lot of concern there about sovereign debt. The U.S. imposing new sanctions on any debt issued after March 1st. But remember, U.S. investors have been banned from directly buying any new U.S. dollar-denominated debt since Russia invaded Crimea back in 2014. The Russian CDS market, just something else to watch. All right, let's now watch the latest. Out of Ukraine, the fighting entering its sixth day in a 40-mile-long convoy of tanks, armored personnel, carriers, and other military vehicles is believed to be on the way to the capital city of Kiev. Fighting intensifying. In Ukraine's second largest city of Kharkiv, Russia, launching vicious rocket attacks. City officials and residents reporting they are under constant siege from the air. Ukraine State Emergency Services releasing this video to the public today, showing a massive explosion hitting the Kharkiv Regional State Administration building just after 8 a.m. local time. Look at that. They call it the result of a Russian airstrike. NBC's Cal Perry joining us now from Lviv in western Ukraine. Cal, good morning. Hey, good morning to you, Brian. So really two separate storylines developing here on day six. The story of the eastern part of Ukraine under heavy bombardment from multiple fronts. You mentioned the city of Kharkiv. This is the third day now of heavy fighting inside that city. We've seen Russian soldiers video of Russian soldiers out of their armored personnel carriers walking uh, through the suburbs of that city. And about 70 miles to the northwest of Kharkiv, as you mentioned, a barracks, it seems, was hit. 70 soldiers dead, Ukrainian soldiers, according uh, to Ukrainian officials. Now, where I am, on the other side of the country, just 50 miles from the Polish border, in the western part of the country, we are continuing to see this refugee crisis unfold. More than half a million people have already fled this country in neighboring nations, the majority of them into the country of Poland, where, of course, there are 10,000 U.S. troops bolstering NATO forces there. They will be helping to deal with the refugee crisis as well, of course, as NGOs, Brian. Cal Perry in Lviv, western Ukraine. Cal, be safe. Thank you very much. 
Well, the United States and much of the world is leaning heavily on economic sanctions to force Putin to call off his war on Ukraine. But it is his war. Some of those measures include things like banning transactions with Russia's central bank, cutting off most banks, not all, but most, from the global SWIFT payment system, going directly after Putin's money, the cash of many of his billionaire friends. And they also include things like preventing Aeroflot planes from landing in England and even Russia's soccer team being banned from this year's World Cup. But sanctions have been tried before, and they had limited success. Will this time be different? Let's welcome in Dan Tenenbaum of Oliver Wyman. Dan, it's good to have you again. Uh, these sanctions, many of the same ones, maybe not to this level, were imposed after the invasion of Crimea eight years ago. They did not seem to work much. Will these work this time? Thanks, Brian. And I think it's pretty clear to say these are a vast difference from the sanctions that were imposed in 2014 related to the annexation of Crimea. To the comments that were made a few weeks ago that have finally come to fruition, these really are the mother of all sanctions. We've not seen another situation of such comprehensive sanctions targeting such a wide swath of an economy like Russia's. Will they work? I mean, it all depends on what the objective is. If the objective of sanctions is to force a withdrawal of Russian troops from Ukraine, I think it's pretty fair to say that probably won't happen. If the objective is to attempt to isolate Russia enough to potentially drive towards regime change, that is the question that many are watching towards now. But the great variable, Dan, I believe, is China. China is Russia's greatest ally. It is its greatest trading partner, at least as far as what they buy from Russia. Most of it, of course, coming from oil and natural gas, which they desperately need. As long as China is enabling financial transactions, currency transactions, energy sales, is that going to mute the Western sanction impact? So we're already seeing reports that the state-owned Chinese banks are beginning to reduce the ability for lending uh, and trade related to Russian commodity transactions. So I, I don't think you're going to see Russia bend over backwards to help to see China bend over backwards to help Russia in this situation. Um, I think they were generally okay with focusing on the Donbas. I don't think they're okay, and we're starting to see messaging out of the government to the effect of this sacking of an entire country. So I wouldn't necessarily count on China being such a a white knight for Russia as may be believed. Yeah, one thing that is directly not sanctioned is oil. We talked about it earlier in the program. Uh, That would be a global impact. It would probably be the greatest sanction of all on Russia and Putin. We know that. But I believe there is concern about the ripple effects on an already red hot inflationary environment in the United States and much of Western Europe from a power and energy perspective. Right now, is not sanctioning oil directly the right call? It's the right call in so much as I think the U.S. and its allies need to keep some powder dry. I think you're already beginning to see with some of those major Western energy companies and their pullout of Russia with Canada announcing, even though it's a small consumer, the suspension of purchase of Russian energy, you're going to see sanctions across the energy sector. They're not going to be broad sweeping because obviously some Eastern European countries are almost entirely reliant on Russian LNG and oil. But I think you are going to begin to see restrictions in the ability to purchase Russian energy products as they begin to squeeze that market. Russian energy sanctions really are the nuclear option if you want kind of a last go at the Putin regime. 
And Jamie Dimon yesterday saying that banning all banks from the, the SWIFT global payments network, which, by the way, 11,000 banks, almost every country, the size and scope, probably incomprehensible to majority of our audience that does not deal in global banking on a daily basis. He said that that could have, quote, unintended consequences. Do you agree? Now, and Mr. Diamond is spot on. SWIFT is not the magic bullet that everyone thinks in terms of being this massive lever to pull. Um, SWIFT is a messaging system. There's other ways to give instruction to move money around the world. Now, that being said, the unanticipated consequences that Mr. Diamond were referring to is if you think about any legal Western business, any oil or energy transactions, any commerce from Western companies where they're still selling goods into Russia, those companies will be unlikely to be able to get paid. So those are some of that knock-on effect that you're going to see. Now, while there's a number of large Russian banks that will be removed from SWIFT, some will still remain online for precisely that purpose. Someone's going to need to finance energy transactions. And without that, you do create a real problem for Western commerce that's still happening. If you can't pay for oil or LNG, they're not going to send it. Very well said, Dan Tenenbaum of Oliver Wyman. Dan, appreciate your views. Uh, obviously, a critical time on the sanctions side. Thank you. Have a great day. All right, coming up, your morning RBI is back, and this one will show you just how fast markets can change on you. Plus, more on Putin's war and the energy story not involving oil, the pop uranium, and other producers are seeing oversupply concerns. But as we had to break, more corporate headlines around the Ukraine invasion story. A shipment of Starlink user terminals have arrived in Ukraine. The country's vice prime minister sharing a photo of one of the antennas which connect global internet signals. This after Elon Musk announced over the weekend he had activated Starlink internet service in Ukraine. Good job, Elon. Meantime, more tech companies taking action against Russia over its invasion. Google announcing its YouTube division is blocking channels connected to Russian state-backed media outlets, RT and Sputnik News across Europe effective immediately. And Reuters reporting that Roku is removing the app for RT from its channel store in Europe. Benchmark 10-year yield, by the way, falling back below 1.8% as oil marches up. We're back in a moment. All right, welcome back. The continued fighting in Ukraine putting plenty of attention on the impact, of course, on energy and oil and natural gas prices getting much of the headlines, as they should. But that is not all the impact and the conflict is doing. It's also causing uranium prices to soar, with Russia being a significant provider of the power source, which is already in short supply. Shares of mining companies, or mining the nuclear element, rather, also getting a big boost. Christina Partsinevelos joining us now with more on the impact on energy that we're not talking about enough. Christina. Yeah, exactly. And like you mentioned, Russia is a pretty big producer of uranium, actually seventh in the world. And as fighting and financial sanctions continue, uranium mining companies actually soared by yesterday's close. Take, for example, uh, Denison Mines, uh, Uranium Energy, as well as NextGen Energy. You can see on your board just a sea of green. And yesterday they closed anywhere between 8 and 15% higher. Even the Global X Uranium ETF closed about 6% higher. So the big question right now is what's actually driving all of these miners higher? Germany announced that it was looking into whether it should extend the lifespan of 
its nuclear power plants, the remaining nuclear power plants, in the face of uncertainty over Russian gas supplies. It's quite the change of heart, considering Germany has been pretty anti-nuclear for over a decade. And then you have pro-nuclear energy sentiment that's growing. Both the European Union and Japan now recognize nuclear energy as clean energy. And this graph that you're seeing on your screen right now, just on the far left, shows nuclear operates at full capacity at 94% of the time, making it the most reliable energy source by far. Given uranium is the fuel used widely by nuclear plants, many investors are seeking out exposure to the space. There's been a major jump in ETF inflows just over the past two years. But the market is considered to be in a supply deficit. We're getting to a situation where the actual primary supply of uranium is um, going to be far too low for for the market, and you're going to need higher prices to incentivize the construction of new mines. And so, you know, that that's really where the bullish thesis plays out. Well, even if Germany doesn't follow through with bringing back nuclear power because of tensions with Russia, the world is in a race to cut emissions. We know this. We talk about this quite often. And all while global energy consumption is expected to increase by 50% in less than 30 years. Governments pretty much have no choice but to explore all options of power supplies. And that could bode well for that yellow cake, Brian. Christina Partsenevelis on the important uranium story. Christina, thank you. So many angles to the energy news. Thank All you. right. On deck, stocks looking to add more pain. Pivotal advisors, Tiffany McGee is here. Lays out if and when market turbulence may take a pause. And just a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. You missed the show. You're on the road. We get it. We understand. It's early. Check out the podcast. It's available on all major podcasting apps. Stock futures down. Oil up. We're back after this. All right. Welcome back. And the RBI is back. And today's most random but interesting thing has to do, of course, with markets and maybe some important lessons about them. Because here's the thing. We know that CNBC is the smartest audience in all of television. And you are all right a lot more than you are wrong. But not always. Back in Thanksgiving, we ran a poll asking for the best market returns between four options. They were Bitcoin, the Nasdaq 100, the small cap 600 or Japan's market. Forty percent of you chose Bitcoin. And why not? It was red hot at the time. Tech stocks got the second most votes. So nearly 70 percent of you thought one of those two would be the best performer over the last 90 days. But then everything went haywire. Bitcoin tumbled. Interest rates rose. And Vladimir Putin decided to start an unforgivable and sad war with Ukraine. And markets adjusted. So how did it turn out? Well, none of those four actually made any money to the upside. But the top performer, if you will, was the small cap 600. It fell by 8% in the past three months, which is actually one of the best performers of those four. Japan, which nobody loved, was the second best performer. Again, falling, but falling the second worst. Bitcoin, the most loved of all, was the worst performer in three months, down 24%. Now, we love you all. This is not a knock on any of you, but maybe a good historical note and reminder that investing is hard and things change fast. One day, we're talking about interest rates. The next day, about Russia's madman trying to conquer a friendly nation. It's maybe a random but important lesson on investing. All right, that's a good place to bring in your next guest. Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO of Pivotal Advisors and a CNBC contributor. And, and Tiffany, welcome. I mean, the point I was trying to make in the poll, you know, coming in and things could change was simply that 
you know, when we ran that poll Thanksgiving, we were talking about maybe rates will rise, maybe this. All of a sudden, everything we were talking about in November almost seems like a backstory now just in three months. Markets are hard and they adjust quickly. Absolutely. Good morning, Brian. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what a difference. And I would say not even a full three months, right? I feel like uh, we had the holidays and we went into the new year and all of a sudden everything changed. Um, so, yeah, you know, and, but listen, here's how that goes, right? <laughs> um, so when I think about investors, especially new investors who are who are kind of like recently in the game, you know, we've got about 25 million new investors uh, since um, uh, 2020 in the height of the pandemic. And when I think about them and, you know, what their feelings might be about the market um, and especially returns, their return expectations, you know, 2020, the market <clears throat> rebounded way faster than the economy. And in 2021, we had very strong returns as well. We're coming off uh, several years of strong returns. So just like that, everything changes. And so when I think about, um, you know, these markets really are giving investors, even me, and I've been doing this for a long time, whiplash. But I think it's just really important to understand the strategy, understand why you're in the game, um, especially if you're a longer-term investor. This is not um, you know, a couple of days of volatility. It is a prolonged stretch of volatility, which I believe will continue. Uh, but again, this is this year, and um, you know, this too shall pass. Yeah, and, and we need to forget, you know, not forget that, Tiffany. Um, but at the same time, it's hard to talk about anything else. It's very difficult to say, oh, we should buy Microsoft at the same time that families are being split apart in Ukraine. We all know that uh, it's kind of an odd and, and, and difficult thing to do. But uh, we also do need to remember that there's a mission on CNBC and that the mission may be to, to help people recover from this in some ways. And that way you like a, a Blackstone, perhaps, that that there are that there are stocks that are going to get dislocated for no other reason other than the entire market gets dislocated. Correct. Correct. And, and listen, you know, the market does not like uncertainty. And so, you know, kind of going into 2022, we had the, the uncertainty of the Fed. Uh, how much will they raise rates, uh, whether they were going to have an, an emergency re a meeting to, to continue to raise rates. Uh, and then now, of course, we're dealing with uh, Ukraine. And so I think, you know, ultimately the, the major impact uh, on, on, on Russia's invasion really comes down to uh, increased inflation, right? When, when, when it trickles down, it really comes down to increased inflation. And so thinking about investments going forward, you need to be thinking about, uh, you know, focusing on, um, on uh, hedging inflation. Uh, and so looking at stocks like a Blackstone Group, which I like, it's an alternative asset management company um, that really has, you know, uh, strong revenue um, estimates going forward this year and next year. Uh, they had a strong quarter last year. They're expected to grow about 43% this year, 16% next year, but also a really strong dividend, about 4.5% this year uh, estimated, but then uh, next year as well, 5%. Yep. So it's about hedging inflation, but I, I agree with you. It's so hard to talk about this when there, there's, there are a lot of people um, yep. that, that are suffering right now. It is, but, but we do, and, and that is our mission. Tiffany McGee, and we appreciate it. Thank you. Have a wonderful day, Tiffany. All right, speaking of our mission, looking at financial markets, by the way, we're going to head that break with this. Burbank, which is one of the biggest banks in Russia, it was trading in London. It was halted. That stock down another 20% right now, down 20%, almost not worth zero, but getting close. That is the financial impact of what is happening 
with Putin's war. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We will see you tomorrow. Squawk and the gang picking up the coverage next. Have a great day. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.